Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom, friends, and welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program. As you know, we've been following the wonderful devotional booklet that's available on the Chosen People website called The Portion. And it's called The Portion because it's based on the portion of the week. We read through the Torah, the five books of Moses, once a year. We divide it into about 52 different portions, and so it's it's a joy to be able to talk about this particular portion of the week, which is called Ki Tetze, which means when you go out. And so there are a lot of great lessons for our own spiritual walk in the book of Deuteronomy. We hope that during this study, particularly as we focus on Deuteronomy 21, that you will be blessed in a way that you probably never expected. It will really help you appreciate the death of Jesus and the redemption we experience through his shed blood. So sharing with me today, as always, is my co-host, Bobby Walter, who leads Chosen People Ministries in Brooklyn. Welcome, Bobby, and shalom. Shalom to you, Mitch, and shalom to all of our listeners. We're uh, very blessed and just greatly appreciative that you're joining us uh, on today's program. And Mitch, like you said, we're going to be looking at uh, this particular Torah portion, which goes from Deuteronomy 21, verse 10, through chapter 25, verse 19. And, you know, I really enjoyed our discussion last week on Deuteronomy 18 and the prophet like Moses and how it's such a powerful messianic prophecy. And I can't help but think about the importance of us looking at the Old Testament to see Jesus on the pages. And it just reminds me of even the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 24, right? On the road to Emmaus, as he's talking to Absolutely. these disciples and in Luke 24, verse 44. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And this is true. I mean, this is from the mouth of the Messiah, Jesus himself. And where we are today is one of the more heavy passages in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses, that must have been fulfilled in and through Jesus. And that is Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23. So if it's okay with you, Mitch, I'll just, I'll read those verses. Yeah, jump in, Bobby. All We're right. ready. Deuteronomy 21, verse 22. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Absolutely. In these verses, God declares that those who endure this penalty are in one way or another cursed. And the Israelites were to bury the body the same day so that this curse would not fall on the wider Jewish community. And there's a question here that really also needs to be addressed. And that is, was the curse particular to someone who hung on a tree? In other words, Jesus was crucified. Mm -hmm. So the question is whether or not that merits the status of a curse. Yeah. So, Bobby, what do you think of verse 22? If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he's put to death 
and you hang him on a tree, his corpse should not hang all night on the tree. So there's a definite word from God through Moses that someone who committed some kind of offense that was worthy of death, capital crime, that they not only needed to be removed, but they needed to be hanged on a tree. Mm. Now, the real punishment for capital crimes during the time of the five books of Moses was stoning. Right. So if you broke the Sabbath, you were stoned. And so it's, it's, it's a bit unusual that if someone committed a sin worthy of death, you know, capital murder, for example, mm-hmm. that they were to be hung on a tree. But it also says nothing about crucifixion. Right. It just says being hung on a tree. Right. And, you know, we tend to take things a bit literally, so it might mean that they were hung on a tree. Jesus wasn't exactly hung on a tree. He was crucified and hung on a cross, which the New Testament in many ways sees as a tree upon which someone who committed a capital crime or was accused of a capital crime or in this instance absorbed the capital crimes of others, Mm -hmm. that that person was a cursed person. I think maybe the best way to understand all of this is to look at what Paul wrote in the book of Galatians. Right, right. So in Galatians chapter 3, Paul actually quotes this passage in Deuteronomy 21 in reference to Jesus. And it's a passage that's always popular with those who are sort of opposed to Jesus actually being the Messiah because he was hung on a tree, because he was crucified and executed on a tree, and therefore he is accursed. But in Galatians 3, there are a few things that we can sort of glean from this to see Paul confronting this errant view. So Jesus, the Messiah, according to Paul in Galatians, he became a curse for us through his death on the cross, the cursed tree. So he is the perfect, blameless, spotless lamb of God, right? He did no wickedness. There was no guile in him. There was no blemish on the person or the actions or the nature of Jesus. He was sinless. Yet he died the death of a criminal. He took the curse of sin, death, hell, the grave, all of it. He took it upon himself, even though he didn't deserve it and essentially took our place. Because this is honestly the consistent teaching in scripture from start to finish, that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all go astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, the blameless suffering servant. And he took that place of being publicly shamed on the cross and being accursed on the cross. I think a lot of people use the word tree in the Messianic movement today because the word cross has such a negative meaning for Jewish people. Mm -hmm. I know when I was being brought up in a Jewish home in New York City, the cross was something you saw in the front of a church, and there was Jesus sprawled with bloody arms and legs on a physical cross. And in, in the Jewish mindset, this was a real turnoff because... I don't know how we learn this tradition in common Jewish folk understanding of history that when the Crusaders marched into Jerusalem in the 11th century, that they burned down Jewish synagogues and they marched around the synagogues with uplifted crosses. And then over the years, the cross has just become a lightning rod for Jewish antipathy and acrimony towards the gospel because we believe as Jews whether it's right or wrong, Jewish people believe that the cross 
which Christians look at as a source of a reflection of God's love and care, Jewish people look at it as something that is terrible and offensive and uh, has brought harm to the Jewish people. And I had to overcome, and I, and I did because of God's spirit, but I had to overcome this whole issue of the cross to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and I began seeing it a little bit more in an Old Testament manner that he was the sacrifice, like the sacrifices in the temple. He was the perfect sacrifice and his blood was shed like the perfect sacrifice of the Lamb of God. His blood was, so to speak, smeared on the doorpost of my heart and the wrath of God passed over me. That kind of imagery worked better for me than the whole idea of the cross. Now, 50 years later as a believer, I can handle it pretty well. Mm -hmm. and I, I certainly know the difference. But in Jewish evangelism, using the word cross is not so great. And even using the word tree is not so great. Sacrifice for our sins is better. Mm -hmm. You're just dealing with culture. And culture is a hard nut to crack, you know? And especially when it's a culture that's infused with so many hostile acts against the Jewish people. Again, not by real Christians, I don't believe, but by quote-unquote Christians. And so this is a very controversial passage for Jewish people and for Jewish evangelism. The other thing I would just say real quickly is that there are other predictions of the death of Jesus other than this one in Deuteronomy 21. I believe it's true, and I believe what Paul says is true, that he did become a curse for us. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I understand that absolutely clearly, and I hope you do, listening audience, uh, that you understand what Jesus did for us by becoming sin for us and becoming a curse for us. But I think in speaking to your Jewish friends, you want to be careful, and you might want to utilize a passage like uh, Psalm 22, his hands and feet were pierced. And so you might want to check out that passage. Bobby, I remember when I read Psalm 22, I said, oh my gosh, this is what happened with Jesus because I've been reading the New Testament. Hmm. And all the negative emotions never entered into my issue in coming to Jesus because it was so clear from one of David's Psalms that crucifixion was the way of death. Right. And so... That's something I would just yeah. share with our friends because if you're going to speak to your Jewish friends about Jesus, there are some pitfalls, there are some points of sensitivity. I don't want you to change the gospel, right. heaven forbid. No, God forbid. But I want you to be sensitive to what's in the Jewish mind and heart when you present the gospel to the Jewish people. Yeah. And, and I think we can just also say, Mitch, that when it comes to sharing the gospel with the Jewish people, highlight what the cross has done, what the result is, the, right. the glory of what took place there, that we are the ones who deserve the public shaming, the public rejection, the curse. But Jesus, the one who didn't deserve it, willingly laid down his life, took our place, took our judgment, took the curse for us so that we could be blessed, so that we could have eternal life, so that we can be with him forever and ever and ever. If you are looking for a great way to stay up to date on all the biblical festivals, the weekly Torah readings, and what we're doing in our ministry centers around the world, then be sure to request a free copy of this year's Messianic Calendar. This year's calendar features beautiful photos from 12 of the 19 countries we're currently working in. And it's a great way to remember to pray for our missionaries and for this ministry. 
Learn more about our missionaries and outreach ministries in Hong Kong, Poland, India, and so many of the other places where Chosen People Ministries has congregations and messianic centers. The calendar is titled To the Ends of the Earth, and you can request it when you visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com radio. Or ask for the calendar when you call 888-293-7482. That's to Yeshua, the Hebrew name of Jesus. Thanks. We look forward to connecting with you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now, we're going to hear a story from a Jewish woman named Laura. As she climbed the corporate ladder, Laura found great success, but her life was terribly empty. And then when she decided to go to church with a friend, she realized that she needed a deeper relationship with God and that Jesus was not only for Christians. I grew up in Puerto Rico, and I had this fantastic Jewish grandmother I just adored. It was always a privilege to get to go to synagogue with her, and uh, very often it would be maybe for a, a celebration or something like that. But my favorite part would be sitting in the worship service and enjoying the liturgy that just would resonate with my soul in a really deep way. However, I was not allowed to pursue my Jewish heritage because I had a Gentile grandmother who didn't really like Jews. After high school, I decided that religion was not relevant to life and proceeded to live accordingly. I was looking for something, not sure what, and thought I'd find it in relationships, or success, or possessions, or experiences. And so I tried marriage, and what that didn't work out, I got myself out and got a divorce and began wearing my divorce as a badge of honor. In my career, I worked with one of the major car rental companies and uh, was climbing the corporate ladder and would get promoted, got promoted in Washington, D.C. from one position to another, all areas that women had never held before. And so I was forging ahead as, as a woman in management. Eventually got transferred to Philadelphia with yet another promotion. But what I discovered was with each promotion, after the glory came the bigger headaches. So that's not where it was. I had a home, I was filling it with antiques. I would come home with the next antique, with the next piece of furniture, the next painting to put on the wall. And after a while I'd get tired of it, things would break, I'd want something else. I was getting deeper and deeper into debt, trying to satisfy my desire for possessions. The same with experiences, whether it was a ski trip or, or traveling or exotic vacations, whatever. Afterwards, it was over. So none of that satisfied. The last place I ever considered looking for that sense of meaning and purpose and happiness and fulfillment was in religion. It was not for me. I thought it was a waste of time. I thought it was irrelevant and senseless. Um, sure, I, I knew people that went to church, but I thought it was a waste. They were wasting their day. They're perfectly good Sunday morning in church. I thought people were, were weak or believing in fairy tales and legends, but it certainly was not for me. Then I met someone who was different. She was exuberant and joyful. 
and intelligent um, and sharp. And she, our conversations counted. She cared about me in a way that I had never experienced in a person before. And she invited me to church, and I thought that was very strange. No one goes to church today. But I found myself going, kicking and screaming the whole way there. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be Christian. I don't know why I'm coming, but I'll try anything once. And my complaint was that I didn't want to be Christian. I wanted to be Jewish, like my Jewish grandmother. So we got to church, and there had to be a thousand people in that congregation and they all seemed to have that same quality in their life, that same joy and exuberance and sense of meaning and purpose in life. And that intrigued me. I subsequently learned that they had something that belonged to me and my people. They had a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, that was something that my Jewish people had. And I wanted that. They, how could Gentiles have it and not me? And so after the service, I started asking Jan, what is this all about? And she explained to me that they have a personal relationship with God and that I could have it too. But I wasn't sure I wanted it. For about six weeks, I, uh, I could not get enough of the Bible and the other, uh, the other books that she had given me. I couldn't wait to get home from everything I was doing to devour these, uh, the, the Bible and these books. And yet I knew it was consuming way too much of my life. I wanted it, but I didn't want it. I was, I had, I had a sense of darkness in my life and there was light out there and I wasn't sure. Sometimes I, I was attracted to it and sometimes I wanted to run from it, but it would not let me alone. I remember hearing the term spiritual battle and I told her, I said to her one day, yes, and I'm the battleground. They're fighting it out in me. I even heard someone quote, the mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that can be filled by no created thing but only by God the Creator, made known to us through Jesus Christ. And I got to thinking, I have spent 33 years of life stuffing Laura-shaped pegs in a God-shaped hole, and they don't work. They don't fit. I was driving home from a conference that she had taken me to, and I was struggling with the concepts in there. And I heard them, they had talked about fear, and I got to thinking, yes, fear, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of something. If this is true, I sure don't want to miss it. And if it's not true, what's it hurt to play along with it for a while? And they said that fear is sin, and there's that word that I didn't like again, and that sin came from friendship with Satan, a little red character, pointy tail, pitchfork. Didn't really think I could believe in this guy, but th that God, who wasn't too sure about either, could do something about it if I prayed. Didn't really understand prayer, although people were talking about it. But I looked through that rainy windshield it was in my car and said, hey, you up there, you're just gonna have to tell my old buddy Satan we're not friends anymore. And immediately, my car was overcome with 
with such a calm, with such a joy and a peace. And I realized that I had come face to face with that missing piece of the puzzle that I was looking for all my life. Happiness, fulfillment, significance, and more than that, love, joy, and peace that I did not know to look for. As I began reading the Bible, I discovered a, a specific passage that was written 2,500 years ago by King Solomon. And it says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Exactly how I had been running my life. How hopeless is that? How did this man, 2,500 years ago, know the deepest, darkest secrets of my life that I'd never revealed to anyone else? and that I hated to even think about myself. So looking back over the last 30 years since all this took place, I have to say that it began an amazing journey that I could never have scripted for myself. And the best part of it is being able to share with executives and even UN diplomats this hope and freedom and happiness and fulfillment and significance and meaning that I have found and been able to journey in for the last 30 years. Our Watchmen for Jerusalem program is made up of dedicated monthly givers who are committed to sharing the gospel with Jewish people everywhere. And we'd love for you to join with hundreds of other listeners who love Israel and the Jewish people. It's because of your faithful support that Jewish people around the world continue to hear the life-changing message of Messiah. And when you give a generous monthly gift, we'll send you a photo book titled, Israel, The Land and the People. This beautiful coffee table book will serve as a reminder of your work in spreading Jesus' love and light to those who need to hear it the most. Learn more about this unique program or sign up to become a Watchman for Jerusalem online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or ask how you can partner with us monthly when you call 888-293-7482. Thanks so much. We look forward to hearing from you soon. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, then let me encourage you to stop by our website and explore. You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com radio. We've got a variety of resources available, and we even have a free messianic calendar for you just for connecting with us today. We'd love for you to stay up to date on the biblical festivals and holidays. For example, Sunday night, September 25th begins Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. It's very appropriate to bring your friends a plate of apples and honey. And you want to say, Shana Tova, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. So we'd love for you to learn more about Chosen People Ministries. And we'll send you our Messianic Jewish art calendar for free when you connect with us at chosenpeople.com slash radio, or when you call us at 888-293-7482 or 888 888- the number two, then Yeshua, the Hebrew name for Jesus. Y-E-S-H, 
U A. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'Shem Shel Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.